Hello, I'm Hans Lee from Livewire Markets, and you're tuning into Signal or Noise, the podcast. Each episode, I'm joined by Australia's top macro minds to explain how you can make money from a top-down perspective. If you're confused by the data or a little lost in the headlines, this show is for you. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe to our show and the Livewire Markets and Market Index websites. And a reminder that everything you're about to hear is information only and not advice. So with that said, let's go. Hello and welcome to Signal or Noise. It has been a remarkable month for markets. The ASX 200 is down nearly 6%. The Dow Jones has erased all its gains for 2023. The US 10-year yield is up 50 basis points. And crude oil was flirting with 100 US dollars a barrel. So is this what a healthy correction looks like or the start of a much larger drawdown? Let's meet our panel for this edition of the show. We've got Alexander Ventilon, delighted to have him, Head of Research and Investment Strategy at Morgan Stanley Wealth Management. Anthony Goloenko joining us too, Portfolio Manager at MLC Asset Management. And it's not signal or noise without her, Diana Messina, AMP, Deputy Chief Economist, now Series Regular. Hello to you all, thank you for joining me. And of course, we remind you that everything you are about to hear on this show is general advice only. It doesn't take into account your personal circumstances. Before you make any investment decisions, consider whether that is appropriate for you. And don't forget to seek the counsel of a professional advisor. Okay, so I've set the backdrop to what has been a pretty crazy month for markets. So I thought that, start off this episode specifically, I thought we'd look at what some of the world's best known investors have been doing or saying in these volatile markets. And if you are watching the show, you can read the quotes along with me. Here we go. First one from Bridgewater Associates founder Ray Dahlia. Quote, temporarily right now, cash I think is good and interest rates are fine. I don't want to own debt, bonds and those kinds of things. This one next from Ken Griffin, who's the founder at Citadel. He's another well-known hedge fund manager. Quote, I'm a bit anxious that this rally can continue. We're sort of in the seventh or eighth inning of this rally. Then another view from Jeremy Grantham, of course, uh, founder of GMO, and of course, just spoke at Livewire Live. That full interview is up on the website if you haven't seen it already. Quote, the problem is prices are incredibly high, and basically the economy is beginning to unravel, and quality, quality stocks, will protect you to some considerable degree. Next quote comes from Mike Wilson. Uh, from Morgan Stanley. This is what he said actually on Bloomberg Television uh, the other week. What we can do, quote, what we can do is to be positioned more defensively in our equity exposure, which is what we've done. We're skewed more towards defensive growth or late cycle cyclicals. And then finally, this clanger from Jamie Dimon, Chairman, CEO of JP Morgan Chase, always somebody who's speaking to the press. This one is a quote from an interview he gave to the Times of Indian newspaper. Quote, I ask people in business, are you prepared for something like 7%? We urge our clients to be prepared for that kind of stress. So given all of that, here's a question for the panel to start everything off. Which of those investors do you most agree with and why? And Anthony, I might start there with you. I'm going to take a bit of Citadel mixed in with GMOs. So Citadel around the seventh or eighth innings and a focus on quality. Of course, in the seventh or eighth innings, you're going to go to those quality marquee players and my slight switch is rather than an equity rally, I'm going to frame that as a multi-year, beyond a decade, adjustment or an experimentation in terms of fixed income. We're seeing a normalisation. It's more normal now. It's been a hell of a ride. 
um, and we're through the seventh or eighth innings of that playing out. That quote though from Ken was about US markets, would you say that applies to Australian markets as well? I think the effect of interest rates and this wide array of conventional and unconventional tools and, and stimulus program, we're left with one blunt inflation hammer mm. that central banks are swinging. Yep. Yeah, okay, I get that. Deanna, of these long run of investors we just mentioned, is there one that maybe most aligns with your view on markets? I think you can take a bit away from each of them. I suppose the difficulty with this current cycle is that no one really knows which way it's going to go. So I think that they all have, have points that are true. I probably most relate to Mike Wilson and his quote on Bloomberg TV. It's, I, I think it's difficult not to have some decent exposure to equities because the risk of a recession is still there, but when is it going to come? No one knows. Equities can still rally up to the point of a recession. Yes, we're getting a correction now, but you could argue that maybe towards the end of this year, the seasonality will help. Share markets can have a bit of a rebound. And if the recession is still six to nine months away, we could still see some, some further positive growth in equities at the same time. Bonds are looking a bit more favourable. Uh, so I don't completely agree with the Ray Dalio quote at the beginning at, you know, four and a half or even close to 5% right now. That looks pretty attractive. Yep. Okay. And that lends to the, the stay invested argument, which we hear a lot in, in equity markets. Alex, what about you? Well, Hans, you'd be surprised uh, to hear that I quite support Mike Wilson's view. You do? <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I also have a lot of sympathy for um, uh, Mr. Griffin and Mr. Graham. I think we are quite late uh, in these cycles, quite obvious. You know, the uh, inflation is high, interest rates are high, uh, macroeconomic activity has started to fade. Uh, on top of that, valuations, especially in the US, they're quite elevated as well. So it's your uh, classic textbook uh, late cycle environment. And we're going to struggle, make a lot of progress from both a macro and an equity standpoint uh, from here, at least in the short term uh, and that's why in this environment traditionally it's paid off to be quite defensive in terms of asset allocation but also within equities to be uh, focusing on on the sectors that have higher greater resilience in these uh, times of um, moderation and, and monetary tightening. All right thank you sir I'm not surprised whatsoever that you support Mike Wilson's view. <laughs> For our first topic, let's stay with the equity market. I thought we'd take a look at the IPOs of two major companies in the US. Both have attracted a lot of headlines. One is Arm, the chip design company backed by SoftBank. The other is VC-backed grocery fintech Instacart. Now, some would say these IPOs mark the return of risk-taking, seeing as both of those debuts were worth billions and oversubscribed many times over. Others point to this chart, which we're going to put up, which shows both companies are now trading below their debut prices. So, Alex, I'll throw it to you first on this one. I, I'm curious which view you take on these. Are these debuts a signal of the return of risk, or is it just a whole lot of hot air and noise? Well, um, look, let's unpack a few things. First and foremost, we've seen a bit of a pickup in IPO activity in the second quarter of this year and probably into the third as well. Uh, but IPO activity has remained quite depressed compared to last year, so it's still down. Very often you find that IPO activities tend to trail the market, so you need to see a, at least a couple of quarters of strong market performance and valuation expansion for IPOs to go back to the market. There needs to be a risk appetite in the market. So not surprised to see IPOs coming back to the market after the performance that we had uh, with you know, US equities. 
moving up more than 15% this year. However, I'm not sure this is a strong signal for adding to risk in one's portfolio. And probably, you know, it's probably more of a interesting signal in terms of trailing factor when the market can get a bit uh, carried away. Okay, so okay, so let's unpack that then. If you say it's an interesting signal about a, a trailing environment, do you then say it's it's noise moving forward because you, this is not a signal that you want to be taking risk again in this market? Yes, Anthony, I'll throw that same question to you to get your thoughts. Signal or noise? I would probably be more in the noise camp, and it's quite a short period. Um, if I step back into U.S. equities. The Magnificent Seven are magnificent for a reason, mm -hmm. and there's often this hype to say, well, this is the next. You know, locally we had Afterpay. So thinking about what is more noisy, the potential payoffs, while can be incredibly positive, um, it could be in a situation that ultimately the backdrops change. Magnificent Seven, what's enabled them to build with low or no cost of debt, uh, very low interest rates over the preceding decade, when they were built, get their market share, it's quite different now. So, yeah, I'm more in the noisy camp. Okay, sure. So, for topic two, I thought I'd zoom out past equities into two markets that have had a rough trot lately. One is the global bond market, now on course, as you can see in this chart, for its third straight year of losses. If it happens, it will be the first time that that has happened ever. In Australia, the 30-year yield, so that's a bond at a very long end of the, the curve, is nominally at 5%. And that's even without a fourth month of rate hikes. It's also been a rough time for the Australian dollar. It's been on a long-term downtrend since the start of the year as rate hikes near the end, as I say, or already they're at the end, depending which view you take, and the Chinese economy's post-lockdown recovery continues to stutter. So my question here to you all is simple. Is this a signal that this will continue? And Deanna, I'll throw that to you, signal or noise? Uh, for the Aussie dollar, I'd say short-term signal, long-term noise, if I can say sure. that. Okay. I mean, in the short term, you can see that we could see some further downward pressure on the currency if the RBA doesn't hike again. Uh, that's not our base case right now. There is a risk of a hike probably in December, in our view, after the wages data, but our base case is still that we'll see them on hold. And then we think that Australia will be one of probably the first central banks to start cutting next year. So that could see some further downward pressure on the Aussie dollar, but at the same time, I don't really want to be too pessimistic on China because I sort of think that they'll pull through. They've got some long-term issues around the property market and ageing population, very low productivity growth in the economy. But at the same time, there does seem to be some sense that uh, the economy is, is picking up a little bit. Over the past few weeks, we've seen some more positive data. still think that the, the government's piecemeal stimulus plans will also help consumers. So we could see some re re some recovery in the currency on a 12-month time horizon. Sure, okay. And then what about in the in, in, in the bond market where those walls have been pretty savage? Would you say that there's a signal that things will keep falling or...? In the short term, we could see some further upward pressure on yields, uh, especially we still have a lot of uncertainty around the US debt situation. The US did avoid a shutdown over the, over the past weekend but they could still go into a shutdown in 45 days time uh, because there was only a six week stopgap funding measure. Sure. That could put some upward pressure on yields again. So, so in the short term, we could see some more downward pressure in the bond market. Okay, sure. Alex, what view do you take on this signal or noise? On the, on the currency side, clearly there's an Australian aspect, there's a Chinese aspect, there's a US dollar aspect as well. I think the US dollar is, is just phenomenally uh, strong 
that's due to higher interest rates over there. Also, a, um, a you know fading macro activity around the world. All of that is sort of USD um, positive. Whereas here we are clearly um, being the, the victim of the, the lack of a big bounce out of the Chinese growth. We, uh, as Diana mentioned, clearly the, the, the last month has delivered some better news coming out of China, but they're still in structural decline. In our view, we're probably going to get a tactical bounce within a structural decline. All of that is pressuring the Australian uh, dollar to the downside. And, and clearly, if risk aversion continues to rise in market, we could see a lower Australian dollar. We actually have the view that it could trough below 60 cents. Um, so for us, in terms of portfolio positioning, though, it's, it's not a necessarily a bad thing uh, because by holding almost our entire uh, international equities allocation and hedge provide us with with the ballast in our uh, portfolios with regards uh, to uh, bond yields uh, clearly I mean we were already positive on on bonds when they crossed over a four percent government bonds on the tens in in Australia and the US we think eventually bond yields will come down because central banks are focused on getting inflation back if not to target close to target they would like in order to do so to avoid a recession but they will slow the economy down and maybe that sends the world into a recession we still think base case is a um, is a soft landing but it means macroeconomic activity will go down inflation will go down interest rates at some point will go down so bond yields have to go down Suddenly, in the short term, it's very hard to predict the direction, and there's a, n a number of negative factors pushing bond yields up at the moment. So I'm not expecting that to happen tomorrow, but over a six to 12 to 18 months horizon, we think we're going to see bond yields um, substantially lower, uh, both in Australia and the US. Sure. Okay. Colorful responses there from uh, from Deanna and uh, and Alex. What way do you fall on this, Anthony? Signal or noise? I think from the U.S. Treasury to say that's anything other than a signal is, is pretty brave. I'm not prepared to do that. Um, the normalisation or a more normal environment. You've had a bond market for more than 10 years where they haven't necessarily had to find their feet and set prices. Um, I think this is natural in finding where those levels are in an environment of uncertainty. Um, I do agree with Alex that. The entry levels for bond yields at this point, coupled with the protection and diversification um, it provides across a range of scenarios, more to the downside, is valuable in a portfolio. Um, the Aussie dollar, and I think, you know, rather than absolutes or being really, here's the point and the absolute low, yeah. uh, we'd encourage, as we are in our program, we're building up the hedging of our international equity. We have been majority unhedged. We've dialed that up to be more neutral in our developed markets. We have brought emerging markets in, which is unhedged and brings a different dimension to the US dollar. So putting it all together, there's an adjustment period from an Australian setting. It's really uneven between households with perhaps renting, mortgage, a degree of mortgage to low or no mortgage, those with none. And you, know, you can be in a situation with your head in the oven, feet in the freezer, Core temperature is 36.5 degrees, everything's okay, but perhaps a meltdown or getting torched in the mortgage belt um, and maybe those with low or no mortgage at home with their solar panels, with the air conditioning on, charging their EV, cool in the shade, no problems there. I like that. We had a view on unhedged and hedged and we had a view into your oven and freezer as well. That was very good. I like that. The other asset class which we have not spoken of, which is going to be topic three, is cash and money market funds. There is new data from the Bank of America which has found that cash funds 
and I guess this is specifically in the, in the US, so if you think of it as just as the US, imagine what it's like in Australia, but cash funds in the US have garnered more than one trillion US dollars in inflow so far year to date. So is this a contrarian buying signal or is this a less than useful statistic about investor sentiment? And Alex, I'll throw that to you, signal or noise? Um, I think it's, it's an interesting signal, but towards being cautious. Um, sure. There is a, um, if, if you look at the history of money market flows, you find that, uh, you know, according to the, to the Fed's data, you will find a steep increase in money market flows relatively late in the cycle. And when it starts taking off, very often it's sort of 12 to 18 months um, uh, before a recession. And that's caused by the fact that interest rates are a lot higher late cycle and investors start to be a bit more cautious with their own savings as well. It's not infrequent that we have money market flows going at, at the same time as equity markets, but eventually money market flows continue into the recessionary periods until interest rates are cut. So I think to me it's also validating our narrative that we are late in the cycle and that's voting for a bit more caution and a bit more income. Sure, okay. Anthony, what view do you take on the signal or noise? Look, I think broadly speaking it is more in the noise um, aspect to it. With our portfolios, our real return equity, we're sitting around 5% cash. Um, some of that is um, derived from protection in the portfolios, which have, over recent weeks is kicking in. Um, specifically in terms of cash level, you know, this is an absolute where we have, you know, going back five years, effectively equity or risk assets or cash. Now we have that whole range and whole spectrum and dimension opening up. So, you know, in terms of our cash positioning for our multi-asset, we're effectively at two, two and a half percent, in some cases, platform minimum. We've allocated to cash plus 100 in our short maturities. Um, that's something we see as an attractive risk reward. Going back three months, we allocated between five and 10% out of that short maturities into Australian duration and into global credit. So we just think there's this range of opportunities opening up. It's not all about trying to pick the absolute bottom in one asset class. Use the environment that's ahead of you, go to quality, um, and we believe that those elements have changed pretty demonstrably in the last two years um, and utilise it. Deanna, what about you? Signal or noise? I'm going to say noise for this one. I think it just reflects the environment of higher interest rates. And uh, I mean, it doesn't really, that one statistic doesn't tell us what the flows have been into equities, for example, or what the flows have been into cash in, in previous times. I just don't really take any real signal from it. Sure, why not? All right, thank you everybody. It's now time for our Charts to Watch segment. We ask our panellists to bring along a chart they think investors should take a closer look at. Deanna, I'm going to start with you as always. We are looking at share market seasonality for your chart. Boy, is this a timely chart considering what we've seen over the last month. Tell us what you see in this chart. So it, the left-hand axis, uh, the y-axis, is, is a seasonal factor, which means that when it goes above one, normally you tend to see positive returns in that month. And when the seasonal factor goes below one, you normally tend to see that month underperform compared to the rest of the year. So what you normally tend to see in share markets, both in Australia and the US, is that in September and October, they tend to have negative seasonality. So they underperform compared to the rest of the year. That's that famous saying sell in May, go away and come back on St. Ledger Day, which is around the end of September. So you normally tend to see the seasonality pick up, that Santa Claus rally by December. We could be seeing that right now. I know there's a lot of 
negative sentiment around the outlook, but maybe part of it is just the seasonality and we could see a bit of a rebound into the end of the year. I think that's the risk. And long gone are the days of the four-month holiday in markets, I might add as well. Thank you. That's an, that's an interesting chart and probably one for, for the optimists out there. Alex, let's take a look at your chart. I'm, I'm really interested in this, actually. It's the impact oil prices have had on bond prices, or I guess in this case, bond yields. So why does this chart matter to you? Well, it matters because it shows you how you know co coincident it is sometimes. I think it's just, I wouldn't necessarily say that uh, you know oil prices drive bond yields because it tends to, to be sort of a bit on and off. Uh, but I think what it did, it re really reignited inflation fears among investors back th three or four months ago when the oil price was at rock bottom or like $60. Uh, around there, I think a, a lot of investors were a lot more confident that inflation was on the right track and there was a little risk of a resurgence in inflation. And then the oil price started to move up and then people got a bit more concerned about you know, supply cuts, etc. because um, they're also looking at the fact that yes, the uh, job market is, is cooling off in the US, but not that fast as we saw yesterday with the jolts. And, and it's a bit of the same in Australia. So the battle against inflation is not won yet. It's going to take probably another good year, if not more, to claim uh, a victory. And that's also pressuring up uh, the bond yields. What is very interesting as well is that our macro team, and it shows you as well a bit of the um, exaggeration in market moves as well, is that oil price, of course, impacts dramatically um, headline inflation over the short term, but it needs to stay high at a very, for a long period of time to really find its way into core inflation. And right now, the central bankers are a lot more concerned about core inflation. And if anything, our view is that high oil prices for importing uh, nations um, are probably a blessing in these guys for the central bankers because it's going to be such a drag on the consumer. It's going to help uh, taper off uh, consumer activity uh, in the long run. So probably short term a boost to bond yield, but also long term it could help uh, uh, taking bond yields down. And remind, and remind me, what's the, the Morgan, House, Morgan Stanley House view on, on the RBI? Is it one more or, the, or are they done? We think they're going to push one more uh, in November as uh, we, we won't have seen enough progress in terms of control of the wages and the rents uh, by then, plus adding you know, the sort of short-term impact from, uh, from the oil price as well could force them uh, into um, pushing one more. But that's not our strongest conviction, to be honest. It's, we think one, but a lot of variability around that. Flip a coin, everybody, is what he's saying. Thank you, sir. Anthony, your chart tackles what actually you were just discussing a little bit earlier. Talks around where you want to deploy cash in this environment. Walk us through this chart, please. I've chosen probably the most corporate and complex chart. Uh, in terms, generally, we've got on the furthest right-hand column a parameterization of the 40 scenarios we utilize. So rather than a point estimate, we're interested in a central probability weighted estimate and the tails around it. So much more about a distribution. So the furthest right hand chart over circa 100 years, we've got the amount of time it spends in each of these grouped scenarios. Um, going back onto the left hand side around March, we saw a pretty sizable shock. You can see that in the growth shock coming through over that time through expansion, inflation fears. And as we're now moving through our June update, we're doing, going through this process again now, it's more normal. So to this higher for longer, um, the sky is falling view, mm. 
It's just, is it higher for longer or, or just more normal? There's a whole world of opportunities out there. Go out and grab them. I'll let the viewers and the readers debate that one while we say thank you very much for joining us. That's Signal or Noise. A big thank you to a terrific panel, to Alex Vandalon of Morgan Stanley Wealth Management. Thank you for coming along. So appreciate it. Anthony Golowenko of MLC Asset Management. Thank you as well. And Diana Messina from AMP, as always, thank you very much. If you've enjoyed the program, please subscribe to the Livewire and Market Index websites as well as our YouTube channel. We're back next time with The Property Show. We'll see you then. <laughs>